0: What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 10 of the new and improved Matt Bernier Show for Monday, April the 13th, 2020. However, you're listening to this thing, thank you for doing so. Uh, Obviously, you can find this on YouTube, as many of you do. Uh, you can go on over to the In the Money media page. Please hit subscribe. Make sure that bell icon's lit up. The latest episode of this thing will be uploaded there pretty much every Monday night, occasionally Tuesday morning, depending on things. But for the most part, every Monday night, this will go up there. If you only listen audio, you can find it over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Um, however, you listen, please make sure you rate, you review, and you subscribe because it goes a long way for all of us. It helps get content out there, but also it kind of just... The the more thumbs up and things of that nature. And even if you don't like it, give it a thumbs down. But as long as there's some sort of interaction, it just helps things overall. And again, if you want to follow me on Twitter for any sort of things, whether it's questions, comments, concerns, you want to take a look at opinions, you have questions about races or anything, whatever it may be, at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player over on YouTube. Uh, This episode, I will finally get to it. The three-year-old fillies, a little bit under the radar. I I did three-year-old Colts in Geldings a few weeks back. And actually, two of them ran back on Saturday afternoon at Oakland. They were both winners. Look, they, didn't, they weren't going to make you a ton of money, but uh, hopefully it kind of tipped some people off. Uh, Skull Factor, who came out of a very live race, Kind of highlighted him, saying he's going to be one maybe you want to keep an eye on for Mac Robertson. He goes out, wins very impressively in his second lifetime start. And then Pneumatic, the horse that defeated Skull Factor in the career debut. He comes back, stretches out to two turns, wins rather impressively while wide throughout for Steve Asmussen. 89 buyer speed figure for that one, too. So those were two of the horses highlighted with the boys that were under the radar. This episode here, episode 10, we'll go over the three-year-old fillies that maybe you haven't heard of just yet. We all know many of the names that are on the the Oaks trail already. But maybe there's some that not only could be potential Oaks horses, given that it's going to be the first Friday in September now, uh, but but even some turf horses and different sort of you know configurations, turf sprinter, dirt sprinter, turf router, dirt router, whatever the case may be. It's going to be a few different ones sprinkled in throughout, but I'm going to kind of turn this one on its head and we're going to start off with the updated pick history. And I don't want to call it a Q&A because there aren't really a ton of, of questions. It's going to be more about... What people the comments from last week's episode where a number of people enjoyed um, my sort of opinion of the best derby fields over the past twenty years, and people were uh, chiming in and, and sort of talking about what their opinions were um, and look for better or for worse, some folks didn't enjoy it, and that's fine I, I you know you know going into these sort of things that some people are going to enjoy and some people aren't um, but I did think some of the feedback was good I thought uh, and i'm actually well, let's just start off with that. I'll go through, read some of these comments. Uh, and again, if you, it's probably the easiest way. If you're trying to interact, probably the easiest way is beneath the video player on YouTube. Yes, I do see everything that comes through on Twitter. The problem is the Twitter feed just gets so clogged with all sorts of crap. You know that. Anybody that's on Twitter knows things can get lost in a heartbeat. So um, this is probably the easiest way to to guarantee that I can take a look and see and, and sort of possibly get folded into next week's episode. And You know, I sound like a broken record, but with the way things are going right now, with some uncertainty about what kind of racing is going to continue on or whatever the case may be, you know, these evergreen or or more less timely shows, shows that you you can listen to whenever. It's not as though, oh, well, the race happened this past weekend, so, you know, I I need to pay attention to it or he's talking about something that could happen this upcoming weekend. These kind of shows, the ones going through and talking about, you know, derbies past and and breeders cups pass that i'll go over i'm sure at some point the interaction back and forth makes these a lot more effective and a lot more fun so with these comments and i'll go over some of them those will be kind of the things that'll drive these sort of shows going forward because if there's no sort of back and forth banter i mean what what good is it it's nice to hear differing opinions and things of that nature so um and also uh Clearly, we we missed the number two segment. It didn't quite get into the main episode. If you missed it, it is uploaded on the In the Money Players podcast page by itself. You can find my number two as far as the Derbies were concerned, uh, and that was the 2007 group with Street Sense and Curlin and Hard Spun and all those boys. So, um, but some of the other uh, just comments, just in general, that I thought were interesting, and and, and again, there there was no. There's no rhyme or reason to some of the comments. The idea is it doesn't have to pertain to what you thought of the fields. Um, this comment from A Sincere JNN, um, one of the comments, that Animal Kingdom Derby is the one Uncle Mo scratched out of, AK inherited Moe's jock. Mo's the better sire out of that crop thus far. I would agree 100%. Um, I think Animal Kingdom was the better racehorse, but to date, I can't argue with that. I mean, Uncle Mo looks like he's an all-world sire. Uh, he's already sired a derby winner. He's sired a number of... Very very impressive winners and runners over the past handful of years. I actually was looking at it the other day. It's crazy for me that Uncle Mo is ten now. I believe. I mean, it, it feels like just yesterday he was racing and, and you know doing big things on the track, and, and obviously the whole issue with him being sick and missing time and, and you know X Y and Z. It just feels like that wasn't that long ago, and, and I believe he's ten years old now, which which is wild. But a good comment like that. Um, Sean O'Brien had a a good comment here. Uh, great job on this. Always cool looking back and enjoying comparing 20 years is a long time, especially when the fields are 20 deep, that's 400 horses or so. Uh, sometimes hard to compare to as top notch horses, like I'll have another, if they continued racing, most likely would continue to perform at a high level. Should that be a knock against them? I agree with you. I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult piece to sort of factor in because, who knows what a horse like I'll Have Another could have gone on to do. Who knows what a horse like Bodie Meister, who, if you're just looking at it from a pound-for-pound pound standpoint of how good was this race. I mean, Bodie Meister's Kentucky Derby is as good as you're ever going to see in defeat. The fact that he dueled a Breeders' Cup sprint winner into the ground and still had something left in the tank and still ran as well as he did. Uh, I mean, that, that was a giant derby performance from him. And I think for folks like me who you know, I I backed, I'll have another months in advance, I liked them that day as well, you at least got, I think, some validation two weeks later in Baltimore when Bodie Meister had basically the complete opposite. He had everything go his way, and I'll have another still went and got him. I think there were two both top-notch racehorses, no question about it, And, and that is the difficult piece with any kind of an exercise like this. There's no guarantee that those horses wouldn't have gone on to do giant things and win breeders cup races and win Dubai world cups and Pegasus world cups and you know, you name it. So that's always one of the difficult things. And, and again, it's why there's no right or wrong answer to any of these things. They're all opinions. And it's I call it barroom talk because that's exactly what it is. It's you go back, you reminisce, you say, Oh, you know, this horse was great. Some people don't think he was as good or whatever. You know, you can go so many different ways, but that's what makes it fun. Um, Some of the other uh, interesting comments in here. Um, And uh, again, like I said, some people enjoyed it, some people didn't. Uh, Tom Barch, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Obviously in the minority, but I'm not, excuse me, but I'm one who doesn't find any value in who was the best discussion, especially on what's currently a once a week podcast. Others are welcome to enjoy it, and you definitely need to keep doing things that you enjoy and are passionate about. It's your show. If I did enjoy this type of discussion, I know I'd enjoy listening slash watching yours. And I, I respect that. This isn't gonna be something, and I know that going into it, not all the topics, not all the things that I go over are gonna be things that people love. Um, but it, it, frankly, if, if you do things and produce things that everyone loves and just fawns over, then you're probably just kind of catering to one group of people and you're not necessarily opening yourself up to, to differing opinions and thoughts. So. I have no problem with people that do or don't like things, and I I actually I appreciate Tom's comment because I don't I don't feel like I get enough of that where there's pushback or people that you know do or don't like things. It, it's, it, it's, you know, I, I'm not saying I don't appreciate all of the, the positive comments, but also I, pre- I welcome the, the ones that say, yeah, you know what, not my cup of tea, I didn't really enjoy this. Totally fine, totally understand it. Uh, I'd rather hear that than, than not, frankly. It, it, it helps sort of, kind of, you know, groom whatever road we're going to go down with these podcasts going forward. Uh, some of the other interesting comments, and I'll only touch on one or two more. Um, uh, Scott Cricklow, Critchlow, uh, this was highly enjoyable. Hope to see more shows like it. I probably will uh, in the weeks coming, especially if the sort of racing scene stays as is. Um, hope to see more shows like it. I agree with you on 2013 being number one. Then I'd go 2011, tw- uh, 2007, 2000, and 2002. As to the last two, it's mostly for the horse's Alex notes. And Alex, I believe, was one of the other... Uh, Alex Kibrick, uh, I would imagine, was one of the other commenters. Um Below, but I'd add Trippy and maybe Graham Hall in essence of Dubai into my reasoning. Not that the cases for fifteen and sixteen are weak; they'd be six and seven for him. uh maybe I'm just coming at it with older eyes and memories. no you're coming at it from your opinion and i again theres there's no right or wrong answer to this I don't think I think that's the that, that's what makes all this sort of stuff fun is that there is disagreement and and y- again, you can lay out your reasoning that's all I ever care about whether you agree or disagree, that's fine. I just would like to hear what the, the rationale and the thought process behind it is. And Scott laid it out there. So those are the kind of comments I appreciate. Those are the ones that I feel like are the most sort of, um, I think they're the most valuable. I think they're the ones that, that help everyone. You know, it's one thing to just say something, but if you can't teach people or you can't explain rationale and reasoning, then it doesn't really do anything. And Scott laid out his reasoning, why he liked certain groups, why he doesn't like certain groups. And, and I think that's all we can be looking for in a spot like this. So there's, it's not really a and A for this week, but just the idea of go through some of the comments, kind of chop it up a little bit, see what people have to say. Let's go over the updated uh, pick history. Now, we're at a point, we're getting closer, I would say, from a sample size standpoint to be relatively comfortable making conclusions. I'm still not thrilled with some of the numbers at this point. Sample size is up to 74. Had some horses down at Oakland this weekend. Played a couple earlier in the week at Tampa. Uh, From from a sample size of 74 on the win standpoint, uh, 19% winners, which again, I would expect, I'm still uh, expecting it to level out around 23 somewhere between, realistically, between 22 and 25 is is kind of the sweet spot for me. I expect it to end up there at some point. Still only at 19%, though, with a 174 ROI. So that is down 13% overall. Uh, $148 wagered, $128.60 would have been returned. So uh, all told, you're down about, what, uh, call it $19 and change. Um, you know, it's, I, I wish some of the I'm a little bit disappointed when I understand, for me, I've made it clear, I feel like I'm a rather streaky player. Like, when I get hot, I can start seeing the ball really well, and other times I can be just up you-know-what's creek. But, you know, I haven't really got a giant thrill, with the exception of current two or three weeks ago from some of the big, big prices putting in a bid. I like Bankett this past weekend. He never really threatened. He put in a nice bid to finish third and get a piece. But at 14 or 15 to 1, he never really looked like a threat to win this race. I'm, I'm still waiting for one of those bigger prices to come through for me, which I haven't had in a few weeks now. I've had a couple of the chalks, which, again, in all likelihood, you need to hit at such a high rate with the chalks to turn some sort of a profit. The idea is to hit some of those chalks, but then sprinkle in a bomb here or there to be able to get the job done and really inflate that ROI and get you back up into the positive. So obviously, the win rate is a little bit on the low side. The ROI, I'm still confident that'll come back up closer to that $2 range when it's all said and done. Not a disaster right now, but certainly some work to be done. As far as the win play show is concerned, 46%. That number is way too low. That number should be closer to 55 uh, and a $1.60 ROI, so down 20 at the moment. Uh, $444 would be uh, wagered, $354.60 returned on those investments. So uh, still a ways to go. Again, sample size 74 I've maintained. Once we get to about 100, I feel like that's a fair sample to at least start drawing some conclusions and seeing positives and negatives. And and we can go into that more as we get closer and closer to that. So uh, that'll button up these two segments, but now probably the segment that you all have been waiting for. For this here episode uh, for April the 13th, let's dive into it. The the under-the-radar three-year-old Phillies, at least at this point in the year. So as was the case with the three-year-old boys here are some under the radar three-year-old fillies when i say under the radar it doesn't mean that maybe you haven't heard of them or you haven't seen the races that i'm talking about but they're not graded stakes winners right now they're not horses that have tried graded stakes company they're horses that have either just debuted they have run infrequently let's say two starts three starts whatever it may be maybe a little bit of traffic trouble Uh, they go out for top flight connections They've run fast. Maybe they're a little bit dirtied up. A number of different things. So that's just kind of clarifying what I mean by under the radar. You're probably not going to be looking at giant prices on these horses exiting any of these races. Maybe one of them you can get a decent number on. The other ones, though, they did enough in their debuts or in their second and third lifetime starts to think that they're going to get bet wherever they show up. But these could be horses that way down the road... Could end up trying graded stakes company. Could end up being some decent prices that maybe you just want to get sort of on your on your radar earlier than later. Uh, Let's start with casual. Now this is a horse, uh, a filly that actually we just saw run on Saturday. She broke her maiden as a first time starter for Steve Asmussen at Oakland Park. She's got a giant pedigree. I think she could be absolutely anything. Uh, She's by Curlin out of multiple grade one stakes winner, Lady Tack. Uh, She won the grade one test, the grade one ballerina, the grade two fairgrounds oaks going two turns. So there's a little bit of versatility there. She hasn't been much of a broodmare to to this point. But the way that Casual won on debut at first asking was just really, really impressive. Uh, 90 buyer speed figure, a 111 raw time form US rating. Whenever I speak of the time form U.S. ratings, I talk about the raw number as opposed to the pace-adjusted one because I'd rather take the pace into consideration myself than just see whatever the number spits out because sometimes I think it actually is advantageous to be forwardly placed as opposed to trying to come from off of it. So it can kind of hinder or alter the way that you sort of perceive whatever the number is. So I'd rather just do that on my own. Uh, So that's why I talk about the raw numbers. That was a really, really impressive effort, um, and I, to be honest with you, the runner-up, Silver Bella, is also a horse that maybe you want to keep an eye on because she ran a winning race. They were about seven and a half lengths clear of the rest of the field, so the fact that Casual breaks her maiden on debut and she's going to take on winners next time out, I, I would venture a guess to say, depending on what the racing calendar looks like, she'll be taking on Graded stake Company in her next start. Uh, Silver Bella will still be in against maidens, and she's going to be a very, very short price, but she's a very likely winner. This is a very similar scenario to me anyway of uh, when we're going over the three-year-old boys that were under the radar the skull factor race with pneumatic pneumatic wins the race he's going to go on and take winners on and he ultimately goes and wins uh, but skull factor he ran a winning race that day he comes back breaks his maiden in his next start so i feel like silver bella fits into that category casual though definitely a horse you look at the pedigree you look at the connections and the way that she won I, I think she could be absolutely anything at this point. And maybe she's one of those interesting horses that actually takes advantage of the circumstances this year where the Oaks isn't for another you know five months. This could be a blessing in disguise because this is a horse that in any other year would not be eligible or would not be ready to go for a race like the Kentucky Oaks. So maybe she's one that you want to keep an eye on. Eve of War, uh, I think, is an interesting one for Todd Pletcher. Now, this is a horse that uh, from a pedigree standpoint, there's, there's nothing wrong here. She's by declaration of war out of a broken vow mayor named special thanks at uh, the second dam is a sibling to multiple, uh, graded stakes winner, but her, her career debut was very, very impressive. She goes out, um, basically wires the field, but she's got nice, easy speed. She gets out there and just cruises on the front end, opens up and I know it's Gulfstream, but she, she wins rather comfortably, um, The second time going out in her career, first time against winners, bit of a disaster because she had a terrible, terrible stumble at the beginning. She tried afterward, but she was just sort of even throughout. I think there's some ability here, but in both of her starts, she wasn't the most alert out of the gate, and it makes me wonder if perhaps she's got some gate issues that need to be ironed out a little bit, but um, she's a horse that I wonder if you get a little bit of an inflated price in her third start because that second start that we saw most recently She had the trouble that she did, and maybe she's going to look a little bit dirty on paper when, in all actuality, I think as long as she can get out of the gate, I think the talent is there in spades. Uh, Eve of War is one maybe you want to throw a little bit of a horse watch sort of situation with. Uh, Lenny Kate goes out for Chad Brown. thought she was really impressive the way that she finished in her career debut. Uh, That was on February the 23rd. There's going to be another horse that comes out of that race that we'll talk about in a little bit as well. I loved the final eighth of a mile. It didn't look like she was really... Looked like she was running, but it didn't look like she was going to come with any sort of giant finish. That final eighth of a mile, it was really when she extended, and that... That, that's a critical juncture with any of these turf races, because that final eighth we've seen so many times, just the nature of turf racing, everyone does their best running late. If you have a little bit extra left in the tank, if you can really reach and extend and find that extra little bit, uh, that can get you over the hump in a number of different instances. And, and Lenny Kate, I think she kind of fits that bill. Uh, from a number standpoint, the the career debut stacks up quite well, an 82 buyer speed figure, a raw 99 time form US rating. So uh, those numbers are re- relatively close within a couple points of, one another. Um, Her pedigree, she's by Tonalist out of a Langfear mare named uh, Quintile. Uh, The dam is a sibling to turf-rated stakes winner uh, Lady Carlock, a sibling to multiple turf-rated stakes winner Solvig. So there's plenty as far as pedigree is concerned. Way deep on the dam side is Christy Cat. So Lenny Kate has the potential to be something serious. And we know Tonalist, he won the Belmont stakes. He also did really well going a little bit shorter though. He won the cigar mile in his last career start. So Linny Kate could do, it seems like from pedigree standpoint, distance isn't going to be any sort of an issue for her. She's in great hands with Chad. You wouldn't want anyone else to have a turf horse. Um, I, I think she's really interesting, and again, she's not one that's going to be any sort of massive price going forward. Whenever she fakes his winners for the first time in her second lifetime start, but uh, she's one that, from a from a talent standpoint, I think it's there. Now, here's a horse that I'm going to say there are two horses out of these this group of eight that I'm going to throw out that I think I'll probably make some silly statements that hopefully you all will keep me honest and let me know what you think about any of these horses and any of these thoughts that I have on them, either beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. A horse called Prairie Wings. Prairie Wings ran on Easter Sunday. So if you weren't locked into the racing that day, like many people weren't, uh, you may have missed this horse. She's o for 2 lifetime thus far. Uh, her first career start was with Kieran McLaughlin. She is a Shadwell horse. Now that Kieran is no longer training, this horse has been shifted over to Todd Pletcher's barn. Uh, in yesterday's race, and I'm saying yesterday because I'm recording this on Monday the 13th, uh, she was completely loaded with nowhere to go turning for home. Finally, there was a little bit of a seam. She finished really, we- really well once she was able to get clear. Uh, To me, she was unlucky yesterday. I feel like she was the best horse in the race. I go back to her career debut, slow out of the gate breaking from the inside. And look, she was under an all out ride for a long time, but I liked what I saw. I feel like she is showing that there is ability here. The race yesterday on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, she earns an 81 buyer and 95 raw time form US rating the pedigree would suggest that she'll run all day. And that's the interesting thing for me. You look at sort of the progression we've seen from her distances, start one to start two. She went from six furlongs to a one-turn mile yesterday. She's by Tappet out of a Sadler's Wells mare named Love Me Only. I mean, th- this is a pedigree that screams two turns longer. I think she's really good. And maybe the numbers wouldn't suggest that just yet. But I sometimes when you just see the way that horses move and what she has... I don't want to say overcome because technically she still hasn't she hasn't won a race yet. She's over two, but I feel like her first two starts have been very very educational for her. And sometimes you you get more from these kind of tough luck defeats than you do from going out there and winning by the length of the stretch and and you know putting up gaudy speed figures. I think she's going to gain a ton from each of these two lifetime starts. I'm very high on her. She's one that I would I'm going to say will be and, and again, hold me to it. I have no problem being wrong, but if I'm right with something like this, I you better believe I will I will bow when this happens, if it happens. I think Prairie Wings is going to be a great stakes winner when it's all said and done. She's 0 for 2 right now. It's early on in her career, but I think between the pedigree, between the connections, and what she's shown in two lifetime starts, keeping in mind too the way that she ran at Gulfstream yesterday, that one turn mile. I talk about it on dirt all the time. Trying, to, You need to be so much the best coming from off the pace at a one-turn mile. And I think she would have won the race had she been able to get into the clear earlier. That's just my opinion. Doesn't We'll never know if that's right or wrong. But I will make this stance and the statement now that Prairie Wings will be a graded stakes winner at some point for Todd Pletcher and company here. Uh, too Sexy is another horse maybe you want to throw in your stable mail, your horse watch, whatever it may be. She is a Christophe Clement trainee. thought it was a good effort from her on April the 2nd, so we're just going back about 10 days, 11 days. Uh, she had a pretty good trip throughout, but really when she had an opportunity to go through down on the inside, I thought she was a little bit reluctant to do so. She did eventually go through, but she really kicked it in once she was past that horse. So I just don't think she appreciated being in tight down there on the inside. Once she was able to get through and then things opened up a little But that's really when she extended and leveled off. She galloped out very, very well. Big, big late kick. When you look at the pedigree, she's by Quality Road out of a stormy Atlantic mare named Cake Baby. Um, from a number standpoint, a 78 buyer speed figure, a raw 93 time form US rating. You know, she's one that I can see Breaking the maiden soon, but admittedly at, at a price that's probably not going to be very appetizing. Uh, she's run twice, and she's run from a numbers standpoint, two very comparable races. I believe the first race was a 75 or 76 buyer. So it's not as though she she took a giant step forward and start two from a numbers standpoint. But visually, I just I, I feel like there is still something there. I think she will break the maiden soon. I don't know what her sort of ceiling is, um, but I think she's a decent horse and one that maybe you want to keep an eye on. Here's the other horse that I will um, throw out there and, and make some bold statements with. Uh, this is a Chad Brown trainee. Her name is Publication. Uh, Publication, I, I thought it was a phenomenal effort. And she's actually exiting the same race that Too Sexy is at Gulfstream on April the 2nd. If you haven't seen it, you can go back and find the tape. YouTube, uh, Gulfstream puts all their replays up on YouTube so you can find this April 2nd. Uh, I believe it was might have been the 6th race, somewhere around there. Um, she was as rank and I don't want to say rank, but she was pulling very, very hard, very hard. She wanted to go. And, uh, Emiseo Jaramillo had the Mount that day and he had an absolute stranglehold on her just to try to get her to relax a little bit. And it's not as though she was throwing her head about, she wasn't, you know, kind of a, a crazy one out there, but you could tell she had her, she was bowed. She wanted to go waiting, 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 first time starter, you know that these things can, it can take a little bit of time for these horses to kind of figure things out in the afternoon. And with her pulling as, as much as she did for, let's say the opening half, at least of, of that race, I wouldn't have faulted her at all if she got a little bit tired and, and maybe we didn't see any kind of a late kick. We got the complete opposite of that from her when she was finally sort of extricated from where she was Down toward the inside, she angled out about five path turning for home, and she exploded late. I mean, do you wanna talk about full of run? She, to me, was the definition of full of run Galloped out very, very well. The numbers come back pretty solid for a first-time starter. A 77 buyer and a 92 raw time form U.S. rating. And then you take a look at the pedigree, and this is the piece that I look at, and I say, "We, there's something here. Uh, she's by Tappet out of a mizzen-mast mare named Falimbi. You may remember Falimbi from not too long ago. It's only been a few years. She was a turf-graded stakes winner out at Santa Anita, and she was... I believe if I remember correctly, she was a little bit kooky. So maybe, you know, you combine that with the tap, uh, you know, that's why publication perhaps was a little bit keen early on. But I watched that race. I see the connections. I believe this this is a Judmont horse. I see it all. And I think this is another, this is a graded stakes type of horse down the road. Uh, She's only run once. But she showed enough in that debut to make me think that there is something, again, and knowing the connections, knowing who she's with, with Chad, maybe I wouldn't be so bullish if it were a smaller barn. And I can say the same for Pletcher's horse that I was just speaking about, Prairie Wings. Maybe I wouldn't be so bullish on those two if, if the girls were with smaller barns. But knowing Chad's expertise with turf, knowing Todd's ability to get horses to, you know, fire on the biggest stages, whether it's Saratoga or Belmont or wherever, it doesn't matter. Santa Anita, it doesn't make a difference. I feel like publication is going to be a graded stakes winner when it's all said and done. And Prairie Wings, those will be my two, you know, probably bordering on silly statements for, the, for this segment, but those are going to be my two bold predictions. Publication. And Prairie Wings will both be graded stakes winners when it's all said and done. Uh, And the last horse that I'll touch on for three-year-old fillies that might be a little bit under the radar, uh, we'll go back to February the 23rd at Gulfstream Park. Shug McGay, he had a first-time starter called Talking Book. Uh, Talking Book is by honor code, so we know there's quality as far as the sire is concerned. He's off to a hot start. uh, And she is out of the King Mambo mare named Mumbo Jumbo. Mumbo Jumbo won uh, the Pennsylvania Oaks. A number of years back, but the damn, she is a sibling to the grade three marathon turf winner, uh, texting. So long distance in the pedigree you don't, you, I shouldn't say long distance in the pedigree. There is, doesn't necessarily mean that talking book is going to be a long distance type, but when you see what the dam side produces and you see honor code, you think distance isn't going to be any sort of an issue for her, uh, She earned a 71 buyer and a 91 raw time form US rating in her career debut. The thing that I was most intrigued with, she lagged so far behind the field early on, she was just totally outrun. There was no, she didn't possess or show any kind of real early foot. The big thing for me was once she got the engine cooking, she flew home. She got her final quarter mile in 2288. And my note that I've taken is that with the way that the turf is playing at Gulfstream Park her running style, if this is what her running style is, and it's too early to tell because she's only run once and she's figuring things out. But that sort of running style at at Gulfstream, it's just not going to work. So for her to finish the way that she did in her first time start, going two turns and she galloped out like a freight train, those to me are all major positives. Because if you get to a different track, if you get to Belmont Park, if you get to Saratoga, if in the fall we get to Keeneland or one of these other places, I think it's going to, I think her running style is going to be much more conducive there to success as opposed to down at Gulfstream, especially right now with the way that the turf seems to be going. So I look at that and say, yeah, she finished, I think sixth, maybe fifth, sixth, something like that in that career debut. But she's one that I think that you might be able to see something from going forward. Not as bullish as the other two girls that I spoke about, but I think talking book might be one that you want to keep an eye on. So like I said at the top, it's not, these aren't horses that are probably going to make you, you know, they're not going to be 15 to one chances but they're horses that perhaps you can keep an eye on now and think, you know what, this horse could be a graded stakes type in time. Uh, Casual, Silver Bella, Eve of War, Linny Kate, Prairie Wings, Too Sexy, Publication, and Talking Book. There are, uh, I believe, eight, eight or nine three-year-old fillies that might be a little bit under the radar. Let me know what your thoughts are on any of them. If you're familiar with them, if you're unfamiliar with them, go try to find some replays of them. Again, uh, Gulfstream puts all their races up on YouTube, so you can find those horses that ran a Gulfstream. Agree, disagree, other fillies that maybe I've missed and uh, you feel like I should touch on, uh, at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, Speaking of all those places, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is. So if you're over on YouTube, uh, subscribe to the In The Money podcast page. Make sure the bell icon's lit up while you're over there. My own personal page, Matt Bernier, please subscribe to that. Bell icon lit up. On Twitter, follow me at Bernier underscore Matt. And anything else that you guys want to hear over the next little while, please let me know. Feel free to... Drop a line wherever it may be, whether it's in the comment section or over on Twitter. Because, uh, again, just with the uncertainty of what the racing calendar is going to look like going forward, uh, I feel like some some exercises of this nature are going to be uh, not only desired but necessary in some instances. So uh, that's going to wrap things up for this Monday, April the 13th episode, episode number 10 of the Matt Bernier Show. Thanks to every one of you that listen, however you're listening and wherever you're listening. Um, And until next Monday, when I will be back, and we'll talk about some sort of racing, whether it's going back and looking at some other things that have happened or if you all have questions or different sort of topics that you want to hear about, let me know about it. Whatever it ends up being, we'll be back next Monday with another episode, episode 11. But until then, enjoy this. And as far as the wagering is concerned for this upcoming week, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been the Matt Bernier Show.